Welcome, everybody, to Going for the Green on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Colin Drew. Got a very special guest this week. No Drew Dinkmeyer, no Mike Leone, but I got Davis Maddock here this week to talk some golf. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with Davis, give him a shout out on Twitter, but also check out his podcast, The Take Cast. And before we get into the golf, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because it's actually been one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Uh, sometimes you listen to something and you just feel like someone was actually born to do that. And I kind of feel like that with the TakeCast. Uh, not even blowing your horn. I feel like you were born to produce and host a podcast. You have had a lot of really awesome guests on there. I know you're calling it a mostly sports podcast, but you've had you know guests ranging from Dan Orlovsky, Jason Sobel, even got Empire Maker 2 to do some golf touting. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the TakeCast and what kind of inspired you to do it and where it's going from here. Well, what inspired me to do it was that I basically had had a podcast in some form every year since I was 18, you know, whether it be for football or whether it was for daily fantasy. And then when Fantasy Insider's daily side shuttered its doors, I was I was a man without a home. And the NFL season kind of started gearing up. And I was like, this is going to be trash if I don't have anywhere to do a podcast for like years and years. But also, like, I just got really sick of listening to fantasy football podcasts, like, you know, ADP and stuff. It's, it's like, fine, but that's not, you know, all that I wanted to do. So I just thought, you know, maybe I'll, uh, I'll just start doing my own thing and see how it goes. And people really liked the first couple episodes. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just keep doing it more. And the feedback was really good. And uh, it's, my, my idea was to do, like, uh, you know, a much more millennial version of the BS Report and uh that's what like all the itunes reviews say so i think i'm doing like a decent job of it so far yeah definitely i think it's awesome it's nice you know it's um i know daily roto is a, a sponsor on the take cast and i know one of the things that you wanted to talk about before we had agreed to that is just like you've been able to get guests from kind of all over the industry and i think that's one of the other things that makes it really cool a lot of times you know people within certain platforms are are you know forced to do it um you know you know, finagle their guests a little bit and you're, you got get the flexibility to bring on whoever you want. And that's enabled it to be a really good listen and also something that everyone can kind of share widely, which I think is great. Well, I also just knew that uh, if Empire thought I was just doing like a tout show, there's no way he would have agreed to do it with me. So that was why I held off on getting sponsors like right when it first started. It's all about trying to get Empire onto a tout show that is sponsored without without totally being aware of that. Yeah, and, I, and then after he did the first one, I was like, well, whatever, he's in. So now, and also he did like a fantasy lab show the other day too. So like he's just a full on tout now. Just branching out. I like it. I like it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're, before we get into the Northern Trust, just some more housekeeping on the Daily Roto side of things. We do have a new podcast launching this week as well on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, the DFS Dish with Daily Roto. It's going to be all things DFS, kind of all sports. So right now, a lot of that's going to be focused on NFL. We got some baseball, some golf talk on there. Um, and hoping to, to generally provide more free DFS coverage than we have in the past. Most of our stuff's been behind the paywall. So we got uh, Drew Dinkmeyer, Mike Leone, Ricky Sanders, who are going to be doing that. You can find that in iTunes. We're also going to be doing it live on YouTube on the Fantasy Sports Network as well. And then the NFL package we have live. Uh, so I know we've got the, the Janus code that is flying off the shelves right now. Got a FNTSY code you can use to save 10% there, but really excited for the NFL season. Upgraded lineup optimizer, really fast. And the best thing is it's easy to stack for casual users, but there's a lot of advanced features for power users that rival Fantasy Cruncher. And so we're really excited about being able to do all of our lineup building in a one-stop shop this year. 
Um, but we can move on to golf right now. Wanted to quickly recap the Wyndham Championship. Uh, pretty rough week for me from the DFS front. Negative 75% life in GPP. It happens. Uh, ready to move on to the next one. Had no Brant Snedeker. Shot of 59. Opened it up and, and you know gave up the lead late on Sunday, but was able to close it down. Uh, how was the week for you? Did you pull back because of the weak field at the Wyndham Championship, or did you have any exposure to that 59? Had had no exposure to the 59. It, it was like a total. I think I I think I maybe got like 10% back. It, it was total total wreck for me. I I just I and I should know better than to play events like the Wyndham Championship because none of my favorite golfers are ever going to line up well there. So it's just like. If you're playing Peter Uline at the Wyndham Championship, you're just not going to win anyway. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the struggles. Sometimes I actually do better in the weak field events, but last week was definitely not one of that. One of the interesting things about Snedeker's round was, um, you know, Data Golf, who does our fantasy golf projections, had put out a little clip on social of the top 20 rounds on, shot on the PGA Tour relative to the strokes gained on the field. And I thought that's a cool way to look at it because – 59 is really impressive. Obviously, you're breaking that magic 60 mark, but it actually wasn't a top 20 round in the PGA Tour history per Data Golf. Um, Furyk 59 at the BMW Championship way back in a 13 or 14 uh, is still the number one round of all time. But I thought that was an interesting way to kind of look at the quality of Snedeker's round. Obviously, pretty incredible, and it feels like a magic threshold to crack through. But um, still, you know, a lot of rounds that were better on harder courses you know, where someone might have only shot 62 or 63, but beat the field by almost 10 strokes. And he made a 59 with a bogey too, right? He Didn't he bogey the first hole? Yeah, I think everyone was like, uh, you know, on Twitter was tilting that he lost his bogey-free round because, you know, they hadn't got enough uh, fantasy points through that point. Yeah, I'm just like trying to imagine what it would be like golfing with someone who shot a 59 while I'm like chunking along to like a 98. Like, I would just be so miserable. Yeah, I still remember in high school, I played a lot of golf. Um, I was never super good, but I was like a seven or eight. And I was playing with one of the guys on our team who was standing on the 18th tee. And all he needed to do was make par on a pretty easy par five to shoot uh, one under, which would have been a 68 on the course that we played on. And this guy was like as steady as they come. And he stood up and he like topped three balls directly into the gully. That's, I mean, that's how it goes. It's a, it's a miserable game. I don't know how much you play, but like I've just started playing recently and it's just, it's just like horrible. Yeah. Like I, I just am so much worse than I was like a year ago. Yeah. So that's the same with me, except like it was when I was 16, I was actually like competent and now, now I'm not so good, but uh, I got to play with Leone last week. So that was fun. Um, this week we're going to the Northern Trust. It's held at Ridgewood, a country club. It's being played as a 7,385-yard par 71. If you do par adjust the course distance, it's actually going to be a top 15 course in terms of length on tour this year. Um, not necessarily a bomber's course from what we've seen in the legacy data. It last hosted the Barclays in 2014 and before that in 2010. One of the things that you know I was looking at and always look at is the par fives and whether or not they're really reachable. They're mostly unreachable except for the longest players, and even some of those players aren't going to be able to, you know, get home in two unless they're also shaping like a 340-yard drive off of the tee. And it yields very few eagles this year. Um, from a course, like, field, I guess, perspective, there's 125 who qualified, but Hendrick Stenson not in the field. 
Ricky Fowler not in the field with his injury. Rory's not in the field. And then Patrick Rogers and Bud Cauley also not in the field. So 120-man field. The cut is still going to be standard to top 70 in ties. So a lot more likely to get 6 of 6 through to the weekend. Um, for people who haven't listened to you talk about fantasy golf before, where do you sit on sort of the course fit perspective? Do you try to dig into all the details to figure out what type of profile of a golfer course is going to set it for? Or are you more focused on like the long-term skill of a golfer? I am like, I'm big recent form thing. That's actually probably the number one weight that I use is like recent form over like the last like 12 to 24 rounds and, and course fit, not necessarily course history, but definitely courses with like reachable part. Like I, I am for certain that if I went back and looked at my results over the last three years, I would have much better weeks at course, like long courses, just because that's how the guys I tend to like to, to wager on are do well there. Like my, my best ever DFS golf tournament is Glen Abbey, the Canadian open. I, I win every year. That's like my, that's like my ATM. Like I know I will do well that one week of golf. Nice. Glen Abbey was my ATM this year as well. Pulled home 20 K that week was uh, really yeah, lucky. It's just an amazing tournament. All the par five scoring, right? It's just Eagles, Eagles galore. Uh, Doral, I guess is the other course that sometimes is in the rotation down there in Florida, which is a bomber's paradise. And I guess, yeah, there's a few of those. So you must like to load up on, you know, the, the bombers of the world and, and you kind of get, can't get away from them. And so it's, it, that's a good thing though, I guess, better to load up on the bombers than the short knockers, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just taking guys like, you know, Benny Ann or whatever. Like he's a guy who's always been really good to me. People don't really like him, but he's pretty good. And like Luke List, like just, you know, the classic, like the guys who can't putt, at all so their their stroke averages are worse than their tee to green game is like that that's my style of golfer like guy with great tee to green game who's like pretty bad around the green or on the green yeah so i hate to break it to you but i was diving into the course fit a little bit i'm not a huge believer it's the opposite this week though it's like kind of like a knockers course yeah yeah at least from what i'm not like a big course fit guy unless there's extreme outlier conditions and we really only have two years of data that I've looked at, but you're right. It is the opposite. Strokes gained putting uh, actually made up for 42% of the strokes that were gained here in 2014 compared to a tour average of 35%. And most of that came from strokes gained approach and strokes gained off the tee, which is interesting just because that's what, you know, in DFS golf, a lot of times we're targeting the exact opposite. Um, you know, people are targeting the the really good tee to green players that, can't putt, um, but it's only a two-year sample where we really have that. And so I guess that's one of the things that is a struggle this week is trying to decide if you want to weigh course fit, how heavily to weigh that. Have you thought about the course? Are you going to kind of weigh that data and try to get off your normal guys? Are you going to throw it out and hope that the ownership goes that way and you can get you know, maybe your guys who are a good fit at low ownership? Well, there's kind of like the bomb and gouge guys who you don't want at a course like this. So it would kind of be someone like, Bubba, where like if things just get weird or if he's in the rough, like he's just gonna not have a good round. Finau would be a great example of a guy who I think is popular, but his game is not a tremendous fit here. Whereas like if you're looking at specific course fit guys that people will be overweight on because they think of this as their type of course, we're looking at like Zach Johnson, Matt Kuchar, uh, Alexander Norin. Like these these guys are tremendous wedge players who can kind of deal with difficult courses that aren't necessarily, you know, eat birdie fest or eagle fest or whatever. 
Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, it, it's pretty crazy because you don't see the strokes gain putting pop. Like, I've never seen it pop this hard on any of the events. Looking back at the 2010 leaderboard that DataGolf puts together in their historic event tools, you can check out. But 48% of the strokes were gained via putting that year, too. One of the things I need to dig into before I write up the PGA Pro Tip um, for the Daily Roto subscribers is just whether or not there were any weird weather circumstances going on that week that would have caused it. Um, I, I think that usually when you see the strokes gained putting matter um, that much, you're, you're figuring it's either a lot of birdies going through the hole or hard to hit greens. It does look like there could be a thunderstorm Wednesday, which could soften up the course a little bit. But in, in general, despite being one of the top 15 length courses in par adjusted distance, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a bomber's track. I'm probably not going to get carried away with course fit, though, with just the two years of data and also just knowing a lot of the ownership ends up getting skewed that way in general. Yeah, and that is, I mean, that's like a great point. So, like, I'm definitely, just regardless of what the course is like, I'm never playing Zach Johnson. I'm never playing someone who's, whose strength is. I don't even know. Like, I guess people used to say, Juice uh, Louten, the Swedish guy, people used to say on, on strokes gained putting courses, play him because he was a good putter. Like, that, that doesn't ever really affect me. The, the way that it would affect my ownership would be more my decision of playing guys whose number one strength is the driver, but who are bad at someone else. Like, I don't think I will have a ton of Luke List this week. Maybe instead of playing Luke List, I would, sh- I would you know, kind of move that onto someone like Charles or something. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think sometimes it's just people like to talk about it because it's, it's good for content and you got to, you know, fill the, fill, the, fill the word counts up or fill the minutes on a podcast or whatever. And so you get into some of the course fit stuff. I've talked about it in the past, and I feel like especially amongst the top golfers, it's really probably a mistake unless you're just using it as a tiebreaker. Um, I do feel like maybe with some of the guys who aren't as highly ranked in the world, you get some more outlier characteristics. And, you know, maybe in five years, there will be kind of data on golfers and kind of information like splits and baseball with guys who hit different, you know, righties and lefties and things like that. And, and maybe there are some guys who are kind of more split prone golfers that can't really compete certain courses, but maybe are top 50 players in the world if the track sets up perfectly for them. Um, it's also tough just because golf's changed so much. You mentioned like the bomb and gouge strategy that some of these younger guys are, you know, employing and that, that stuff wasn't around in 2010 really. And so it's changed a ton. And so sometimes it's hard, especially with a course like this, where we have one round or one event in the past five years and nothing dating that far back. Um, you know, the golf game and the technology and, you know, the athleticism of all these guys has changed so much as well. So I think that will be a really interesting thing. Yeah, it's just it's just different. Like if you if you watch someone who's 45 years old play golf like in a round like and then also watch Brooks Kepka, they're they're playing a, a different activity almost. Like I was I was watching uh, I was at the Sunday of the PGA Championship and you know there were a couple guys who on a par 4 that in 1997 when they played at Bell Reve would have been like a hard hole cuz it's so narrow. They they were driving the green on this par 4. Like it's 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 hard to make comparisons for stuff that happened that long ago. Yeah, definitely. And so that's, you know, one of the the risks as well, especially the limited data. But as uh, I guess the other aspect of it, as we get into the FedEx Cup playoffs, and we talked a little bit about the field size and that higher percentage of golfers will make the cut this week. 
that becomes you know progressively easier to make the cut as we move on and eventually moving into you know the no cut events and so um, some of the the things that impacts is just strategy one is uh, easier to get six of six guys through the cut and and so you can um, sometimes pay up a little bit more if you want to um, and then the other is just like your decision to a lot of times the benefit of fading someone who's chalky even if you like them a little bit is just half the benefit is if they miss the cut you get a ton of leverage on the field a little bit less likely to get leverage this week but it's not quite the full um, impact of a no cut event are you going to be taking any of the FedEx Cup stuff into consideration like do you look at where guys are relative to the standings to move on to the next round for motivation reasons or do you feel like that is digging a little bit too deep I'm sure that there's some value to it. I'm not interested in doing it just because I think the the main strategy you should be looking at this week is just guys who play good DraftKings golf. So like guys who generate a lot of your betters, even if you know they do make bogeys or whatever. Like that that's just the number one thing you need to be looking at this week because uh, with more people making the cut, you're getting less important points from finishing and more important points from actual scoring. Yeah, and it seems like the you know the course isn't going to be quite as easy as last week's course, but it's not going to play like U.S. Open level of difficulty either. I think um, last time the cut was around plus one or plus two, winning score around 14 under. Those seem like reasonable characteristics as far as you know what things could be looking like. And um, like you said, uh, there there is going to be some DK scoring, maybe not as many as Eagles, but uh, especially if the weather softens up the course a little bit, you should still see some some birdies and um, anything else you want to touch on before we kind of get into the the plays by each range? No, no, I'm ready to go. Yeah. So uh, 10K and above range this week. We'll start there. Five guys in here. You got DJ and Justin Thomas, who's all the way up to 11.2K, followed by Jason Day, Brooks Kepka, and then Tiger Woods. Um, so this range has been a pretty popular one for ownership over the last few weeks, but now they're all priced up, so you can't play them all in the same lineup. Like, I mean, you could play a lot of these guys together at the PGA Championship, and a lot of the winning rosters were kind of hammering some of this range. Um, what stood out to you at first when you looked at the 10K and above range? I mean, it is it is absolutely wild that Justin Thomas is only $300 less than, than Dustin, just because, you know, I, I, I do think that, very best to their game in the world. Dustin is the best. Brooks is the second best. And JT is the third best. And the, the pricing does not reflect that narrative. Yeah, uh, it it doesn't. And I, I think that DJ, I, we still have him as a pretty commanding favorite. Um, I know JT and Brooks have had really big rounds, obviously great performances and victories. They've also had some, you know, worse performances over the last like 18 months or so, all that kind of being factored in. Whereas DJ's uh, bad performances usually are still pretty good these days. So we've got DJ with 60% odds to, to finish inside the top 20, um, which is well clear of the next closest golfer um, for us over in the probabilities over at Daily Roto. Um, one of the things that surprised me a little bit is when I put together the first ownership projections, which factors in the Vegas betting odds, as well as some of the tags and things like that from Fanshare Sports and industry consensus and who people are talking about was that Jason Day and Tiger Woods are actually profiling to be the highest owned golfers of this range. We kind of talked about the course fit a little bit. We talked about how much 
putting has mattered in the underlying data. And I think that's leading a lot of the early talk this week to be on day in Woods. Woods obviously had a great performance his last round out when he was a little bit lower owned. He had struggled at the Bridgestone when he was more popular and wanted to try to figure out if you think that Woods and Day will end up being the most popular options as well. I don't know if they will, but I definitely, I would not plan on playing either one of them in a big chunk. I would much rather play, I would I would much rather find ways to get exposure to Dustin and, uh, and Brooks. And even in JT would be the third, but I, I don't know. Like, I just think, doesn't the, the swell of ownership for Tiger just always seem like a, I, I don't know. I just don't buy in. I, don't, I guess I am, I'm not buying into being ready just because the driver is so bad that I just feel like you're kind of always waiting for like three terrible holes in a row. And then all of a sudden he's like out of contention. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I've, um, I feel like we've been kind of on and off him. And right now we have him um, fifth in the field in the finished probability model, about six in the fantasy points. So kind of fairly priced, but if the ownership is there and right now I actually have the the Tiger ownership as being higher than Brooks Kepka. So that would be a pretty easy pivot for me in tournaments if that actually comes to hold come Wednesday afternoon. If you can get Brooks at like 15% or Tiger at 20%, then it seems like uh, maybe a little bit of a leak if people are going to focus like we talked about on course fit heavily with this top end range. Yeah, and people just like get in their head that like oh Tiger's just going to hit the low stingers with the 2 iron or whatever and like Sure, that's fine, but he's still at a disadvantage if, if everyone else is hitting 20 yards closer to the hole than he is. Yeah, and then I'm also interested in JT. Um, more for large field tournaments, I think in my like single entry or cash builds, I would probably end up potentially even going to the, the next range. Um, but JT, I think, is priced like where, I mean, it's not like we're not only people who think DJ is the top player in the world. He's number one in the world golf rankings and he's, you know, anyone can pull up the game logs. And um, I think a lot of people look at JT as a, a bomber and he actually has a really well-rounded game and is actually first in this field and strokes and approach on the year. And it's inside the top 25 putting. So I think he's going to go in, um, you know, closer to 10 to 15% ownership. And so in MME builds, that might be a guy that, um, even though it might not pop in optimals, I try to, you know, click the thumbs up on a couple times and at least get a little bit above the field on. Yeah, he of the guys over 10K, I would rank them in terms of like exposure, DJ, Brooks, JT. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with that. And that'll be, it'll just be interesting to see if the ownership does land on Dane Woods. And that would actually set it up to be a really good week for, for us to be playing tournaments. It's always nice when the guys that you naturally like anyways um, happen to be a little bit, lower owned. I think we still view Tiger as a, a pretty strong play, but if the ownership's heavy in tournaments, I'm not going to like it quite as much. Part of the reason for that is as we move down into the $9,000 ranges, we actually have Justin Rose as the second favorite in this tournament uh, with greater than 50% odds to T20. His ownership, I think, is going to be there. I think he'll carry you know anywhere from 18 to 22% ownership, but we still view that as a really strong play. And I actually think that um, a lot of times this year is the balanced roster build has been winning out in some of these star heavy fields. And so you, the rest of your lot roster looks pretty good if you're able to start with someone like Justin Rose. Uh, who is your favorite play outright from the $9,000 range? Yeah, it's definitely Rose. Like it, it's just clearly him. I think he'll, he'll probably be the, 
beginning building block of most cash builds builds i don't i don't think that dj uh or brooks will be on a ton of like sharp people's cash teams i think even starting rose molinari is like a very viable strategy this week for cash games or like single entry teams yeah that i mean that definitely makes sense i think our optimal uh for optimizing the number of guys inside the top 20 would start with rose and um would start with molinari right there on that team so again both those guys have been so steady i think people i guess maybe underrate what justin rose has done maybe they don't you mentioned that he'll be on kind of the sharp no, lineups people, and... people do because like if i if i was not like friends with people who are smarter than me about golf i wouldn't even like think much about justin rose but like people who actually bet on golf and know kind of hammer me on him but he's not like like one of my favorites or anything yeah so the the other guy that is I mean, this range in general is a pretty interesting one, especially for all of us at DR. Um, John Rahm is going to be the lowest owned. Well, I think Snedeker is going to be the lowest owned golfer above nine thousand dollars. But it, but after Snedeker, who's who's just way way overpriced, just off of you know the the one week flash um, and really carried by one round. But I think Rahm's going to carry single digit ownership percentages, and um, there's just some negative sentiment around him around you know i think there are some people who are rom fans but there's a lot of negative sentiment around him as well people talking about him how he can't play on you know in tough fields or tough courses um you know he did finish top five at two of the majors this year granted they were the easier majors at least from a relative to par perspective but single digit rom i know the course fit that people see in the historic data doesn't set up very well from him I know when you talk about a strategic golf course, it doesn't resonate great with a guy like John Rahm, but I also can't help but feel like if he's the lowest owned player and you strip course fit out of the equation, you know, he's a really solid play, great at DK scoring. What, what do you, what, I mean, you you like Bombers, you said, you must be a, at least a little bit of a Rahm fan. I mean, the thing about Rahm is that he can just hit it over all of your, you know, course distractions. Uh, I, I sat and watched number seven at the PGA pretty much all day on the last day on Sunday. And he hit a drive so far that like he was the only person I saw hit it to this range the whole day. He hit it past two bunkers. He hit it past the hills that they try and do like, uh, you know, to distract the eye. So it just doesn't matter. Like if Rom is on his game, I mean, he probably plays about as well as anyone other than DJ when, he, when he's like really feeling it so yeah like if Rom is going to be in the single digits you have to make it a priority to get exposure to him this week yeah and I, I think I like that for tournaments too like he does um he does feel like a a GPP play right where if he's going to be high owned then maybe maybe you can take your foot off him a little bit if he's going to be low owned maybe it makes sense to get over the field it doesn't seem like it's going to be too hard to get over the field this week um moving on into the the lower part or mid part of this range the other two guys that are a big struggle for me this week are jordan spieth and tommy fleetwood um so fleetwood's been a bit of a he's a guy that has been really popular in the industry so even at, in the tournaments where our models might have liked him a little bit or thought he was a little bit underpriced the field ownership was just so high that in top heavy gpps i didn't feel like it was worth paying up for um where have you sat on the fleetwood debate i guess throughout the course of the fantasy golf season well i liked him before everyone else just like started backing him at like 18 to 1 every week i i i just don't see i just don't see anything that makes tommy fleetwood like 
significantly better than Tony Finau, who's he's always less expensive than. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we actually have Finau uh, is slightly better than Fleetwood in the top twenty probabilities. So David Golf definitely agrees with that take. Um, he's he's got he's got good hair. He's got good charisma. He definitely showed up at some of the big events, and it was. It was costly, but um, I don't know if I'll end up with Fleetwood just because of the ownership. And the other guy was Jordan Spieth. And, I mean, if you told us a year no ago, 9,600 Jordan Spieth, if you told us a year ago, I think people would be loading up on it. It's tough. It seems like his putters come around, and right when that happened, the TD Green game left him. At the same time, I feel like, you know, I've been trying to play him a little bit at low ownership. Seems like his price is kind of fair. Um you're you're no thanks. You're not not a speed guy. It sounds only like. only play speed at the majors or when there's like ten million dollars on the line. So like you can play him at the tour championship, but don't play him here. Yeah. So I've uh, got him projected close to twenty percent ownership. Um, it'll be easier that's for me to pass. Good. Yeah. Do you feel like that's too high? Do you feel like that sounds right? Twenty percent. Like if you if you made Jordan Spieth's name like Brian Harmon or whatever. He would, do, he would be $7,600, and no one would play him. <laughs> that is one interesting thing I've tried to do once before is strip the names off of the paper and build lineups just based on the data. And a lot of times it's interesting to see the way those lineups look, and I don't know if I ever ended up fully submitting them. But it's that's definitely a, an interesting point, especially Spieth um, over the – I mean, you said you're a really big recent form person, and he's just been kind of a, a train wreck there. Yeah, like I, I just like if a guy is like legitimately bad or like worse than his long form sample for like three weeks, like I, I definitely weight that. And obviously that causes me to miss out on like, I mean, there are guys who are hurt. There are guys who figure out some putting thing or whatever, and, I, and I'll miss out on that. But I'm, I'm OK with that because I also get my fair share of like guys who get like four top threes in a row or whatever. Yeah, so. It, it sounds like we're pretty closely aligned in this range. Like Rose, definitely the the starting point for a lot of really good cash builds or tournament teams. Maybe his ownership will tick up because of that. Um, if that just jumped off the paper, and like you said, a lot of the sharps that you talk to really like him, and those are the people who are going to be firing 150 lineups into a lot of the GPPs. So that will sway the ownership a little bit more. Molinari, um, also kind of a cash type option. Not quite as good of a putter long-term as someone like Rose. And so if you're only choosing one, I would definitely try to find the money to get up to, to Rose. I'm, I'm not going to weigh the course fit too heavily. And we do have Molinari as a really strong play in this field. So I think you can still go there. Um, the the two guys we didn't touch on at all were Webb Simpson and Brant Snedeker. Uh, Sned's obviously that big round last week en route to his victory. Feels too overpriced. Are you on either Simpson or Sned's? Easy, easy fades on both of them. Yeah, Webb's not quite as easy of a fade for me, um, but I just don't was... like I just don't like Webb Simpson, so it's easy for me. <laughs> Fair. I if I uh, was rostering golfers that I liked, I'd, I wouldn't have been able to play in Poulter very much this year. But I guess I guess if you're if you're building one lineup, you got to go with go with the guys that you like. I do think that Webb and Sneds are overpriced, and so um, unless you're able to get them at like I don't know five percent or something like that, like Webb Simpson at like five percent would be pretty interesting to me, but. I've got him closer to 10 in the V1 of the ownership projections. Uh, anything else from the $9,000 range that kind of stands out to you? It sounds like you're probably leaning towards, or you would lean towards, you know, two of these guys in cash games. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Rose and Molinari is just where I would choose to start building a cash game lineup. I mean, obviously, it's pretty early, 
we're recording this around noon central on a Thursday, but those, those would be the two guys I'm really interested in as of right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think the other option um, would be starting with Rose and then going down to the $8,000 range. And this range is really attractive to me in all types of formats. Um, I think there's maybe some guys who are a bit overowned for the wrong reasons. Um, Adam Scott at 8,900 stands out as one of those options to me as a guy that I can pretty clearly get away from. And then there's you know the opportunity if you just play one of the guys from above like Rose and you can grab a couple of these guys um, as part of a pretty balanced roster build, have a really high likelihood to get six to six guys through the cut. I think you can get up to you know, 25, 26% likelihood for a roster if you build a little bit more balanced. Talked about Tony Finau. Um, so I'm assuming he was one of the guys, you know, you, you kind of compared him to Fleetwood, who's $1,000 more. I'm assuming he was one of the guys that jumped off the paper at first glance to you. But I know you also mentioned maybe being a little bit concerned about course fit. So where do you see Tony this week? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I used it more as like a theoretical example. Like I still yes. like, I still like Finau at this price, like regardless of, you know, how many, how many times he's going to have to pull out his lob wedge or whatever. Like, I, I still think he's uh, a fantastic player and probably a little underpriced. Okay. So, yeah, we definitely definitely would agree with you there. Um, another guy, so two of the guys in this range, I mean, Daily Rota subscribers are not going to be surprised to hear that we like Patrick Cantlay and Paul Casey um, this week. They, yeah, they I'm, don't... About, I'm about done. I'm about done playing Paul Casey. I'm just so annoyed with, like, have, rostering that guy every week because the data golf stuff likes him every week. And so I pretty much always play him and he's just so annoying to me. <laughs> he's, he's definitely not the easiest guy to root for if he's not, um, if he's not in, in contention, even if he is, sometimes he's not, he's I'd say just, we would just pars his way around the course and like, yeah, he mostly makes the cut, but every time he makes a bogey, you're like, well, it's going to take, you know, two days to get those points back. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like Casey's been pretty good long-term for, for us. Um, I think being on him when he won at the Valspar with the sort of Paul Casey can't win narratives flying around, it feels like that was years ago, but it's not too far in his distant history. And he had put together a big string of top 20 finishes to go alongside of that, which is, you know, unfortunately or, or fortunately why he's probably going to be popping in the projections for the foreseeable future. So it's going to be one of those guys that you need to X out if you don't want any exposure. It sounds like you're going to hit the X button on Casey this week. Who else do you like in this range? I'll probably end up playing him in cash, honestly, just because like everyone else who's sharp will have him and they'll be like, well, you're an idiot if you don't have him. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I like uh, Kucher more just because Kucher is, you gotta, you gotta remember Kucher at these tournaments, no one's better at getting paychecks than Matt Kucher. I'm, I'm like not even joking. Like, if you go look at, at Matt Kuchar's, like, money made in his career, it's absolutely insane. And uh, another guy who I like in this range a lot is uh, Xander Shifley. He, he's, like, another, like, just a, a great tournament player. And I think he's uh, a little – well, I think he's definitely underpriced at 7800 Yeah. Um, we're not quite as big on Xander, but he does seem like one of those guys that steps up in, in bigger tournaments, whether it's not – whether it's just variance and he just happens to play well or whether or not. I mean, really it's definitely does. variance and you're just filling content on a golf podcast. But like, I do actually believe that he's underpriced at 7,800. I, I have a very high opinion of his game. Yeah. Um, I, Hideki Matsuyama, the high end of the $8,000 range is another um, one of those kind of long-term skilled ball striker golfers that I think could fit well. It's going to be tough because, well, imagine better... if he was allowed to practice putting. Think of how good he'd be. 
if, if any of these guys, I feel like in this range could putt, it would be lights out. And if the, the putting narrative holds true, then it, this could be like a, a death range where you get some ownership on, you know, Cantlay, Finau, Hideki, Paul Casey, all really elite ball strikers who can't putt. If the putting ends up coming through, I mean, that could wipe out, what, 40% of the field just with those guys, like if they struggle, you know? Yeah, and then we end up with like, uh, you know, a Kevin Tway, J.J. Spawn sort of leaderboard. <laughs> so the other guy in the high $7,000 range that I like a lot, um, not hearing a ton of buzz early this week, I, I hope it kind of holds because I think he's an excellent tournament play if the ownership stays where it is, and that would be Alex Noren at $7,900. Um, I think it's because some of his success comes in Europe and people aren't playing the Europe Tour DFS so much. I feel like he uh, often flies under the radar unless he gets like touted really heavily. Uh, I think sometimes it's hard for Definitely. him to pop. Like he won't pop in like fantasy national models as much just because a lot of his success is on the Euro Tour and it, like that product's been a really successful one. It's popular. A lot of people like to use that to start their research. A lot of people who do podcasts like to use that to start their research and. And so it ends up anchoring a lot of the sentiment, I think, for the week. Um, have you heard any buzz on Norin? Do you are you you thinking about Norin this week? Do you consider him a catch or tournament play? No, if Mayo and Feinberg don't get to him on the Monday show, then no one ends up playing Norin. <laughs> and if they bet him, he ends up being like twenty percent, right? Yeah, that's just that's just kind of how it goes. I I think Norin seems decent here because he's like a really good putter. That's just like something he's very good at. So yeah, I, I can see him being fine. Probably not. Probably not the sort of guy I will have a ton of exposure to just because that's not, you know, it's not my game per se, but uh, I, I do totally get it. So wanted to go through the guys in the $7,000 range that I think are going to be the highest owned this week. And you can give me a quick yes or no on each of these guys. And then I want to circle back with one interesting trend or topic that I noticed. So um, quick yes or no on Xander. Sounds like a yes. Yeah, definitely. Gary Woodland. Um, no. Mm -mm. Stuart Sink. Yes, yeah. Stuart Sink. Uh, he's just feeling it. That that's a recent form thing. He's just been good. Billy Horschel. No. And then Bryson DeChambeau. Definitely yes. Yeah. So I think those are going to be the highest end guys on this group. And one of the interesting things to me was that. Most of those players are more known for being really strong tee to green and ball strikers and maybe a little bit more erratic with their putters. And if you look at like the top end of the field, people were talking about the guys who were erratic off the tee and really good putters. And so it feels like a weird week in PGA DFS where people are talking a lot about course fit. But then the chalk in the different like levels is reflecting a different course fit so I feel like there's a lot of inconsistency going around with how people are approaching this because they're targeting all the putters up top and then targeting the ball strikers down below and it's going to kind of set up for like a, a weird dichotomy in tournaments um, anytime that one narrative that's not super based in data comes to the forefront it's just going to be a weird week for DFS yeah and the start of the FedEx Cup playoffs and then you also have like the football going or starting and a lot of effort and stuff going on content there. So a little bit easy to kind of get distracted. Um, I think for Shockley Woodland, uh, I think that, you know, they're, they're fine plays. Um, but to me, they're going to be a little bit too heavily owned, at least how I have things projected right now. 
And it looks like you're going to be able to get Norin, RCB, and Leishman for lower ownership than both Shopland and Woodland. Um, and so it would be pretty easy for me to make those pivots and try to just get um, overweight the field on those three guys rather than being taking like, you know, 15% of those three and I can get way overweight. Whereas if I take 15% of Gary Woodland, I can barely match the market. Uh, so that was my initial thought for tournaments. The other guy I'm really struggling with is Louis Oosthuizen. Um, he projects well in data golf models. Uh, I don't know if they're factoring in, like, I think a WD before the tournament, even if it's after lock, just doesn't count at all and the data is around played. So I don't know if maybe we're over-projecting Louis because there's a little bit of that WD risk, but the rounds he plays relative to the field and he plays in pretty strong fields, they have him as the top player right alongside Alex Noren. Another guy probably going to be sub 5% owned after he burned everybody with that last withdrawal. Yeah, I mean, anytime someone has withdrawn, there's rumors of a wrist injury, anything like that, you can basically expect uh, their ownership to be cut in half of what you would have projected. Yeah, so I think that's another guy. Um, the pain, I mean, the pain is real it's, and it's recent. So in a single entry, I probably, there's just too much. I just don't need to do that. But in MME, I think um, I'd still be comfortable taking 10%. Maybe he's only 5% owned and I can get overweight the field. Um, as far as the, the other guys you mentioned being in on Stuart Sink, I think Stuart Sink's going to be pretty chalky. Uh, do you have interest in any of the pivots off of Stuart Sink? Yeah, the main guys that would be there kind of at the same price or $100 higher would be Ian Poulter, Brandon Gase, Kevin Na, uh, Brandon Grace, Kevin Na, and Ryan Moore. Uh, Benny Ann and Russell Knox right there. I'm in. So, so moving I think down. Those, I think those yeah. guys are from, and yeah, I think they're tremendous pivot plays. So what, what is it about, uh, I guess Russell Knox, he, he projects as fine. Like he's a, a fine play in our model, not a great play, not a poor one. Same with Benny Ann. Like, what is it about those guys that um, are, are those like long-term Matic brand plays or is there something about their recent form that is drawing you to them? Uh, Benny Ann is like a long-term, I just think he's really good sort of play. And Knox would be a course fit uh, knowing he's a grinder kind of play. Like he's just very likely to always make the cut and get his T38 at a tournament like this. Yeah, the, the um, other guy I think that would be an option is, um, is Phil Mickelson. And... Uh, no, I, I, I was going to make the same point. Like, I think Phil is actually underpriced here, which is maybe a sentence I've never said before. Yeah, uh, like, the other thing I guess that I thought was a little weird is, um, like we said, the reason that people wanted to play Tiger and they wanted to play Day was because of the short game and because of the putting. And, I mean... Phil has been a pretty bad off the tee, but like his approach has been strong. He's second in the field in strokes game putting. And so it like, it just feels like a weird, like touting week where you're kind of getting a little bit of a leak where people are targeting different types of players in different areas. Um, even without any course fit, I think we view Phil as underpriced. And he, I think we have him 26 in the field as far as his top 20 probabilities, but have him higher in the fantasy projections just because he almost always outscores his finishing position from the bogeys and, and birdies. Yeah, that's like that's like the point I was making earlier about the DraftKings golf. Like he, Phil does play good DraftKings golf. Yeah, so sounds like you're also going to be in on Phil. The only thing I'm trying to figure out is how much. Um, I've talked about it before, but my my wife can't stand Phil, and so that commercial came out, and she's like 
just just ripping on Phil for being a sellout in the tool and I'm I'm telling her that I have him in DFS and she can't be so hard on him and so it's kind of like a it's a tough week on the marriage when I load up on Phil and if I do it I just I just can't tell her about it. People love Phil and Tiger. It's like it's just like absurd how much they like those two guys when there are so they're talented golfers that exist. Yeah. I, I do feel like Phil, like DFS regs don't love Phil. I feel like, especially in the public tournaments, he ends up being higher owned. Um, and then I guess at this price, some of the DFS regs will still be on him. But I feel like people that play DFS as much are kind of able to separate from that a little bit. Um, below the 7,300, so at, like the low $7,000 range is where I think there's going to be a lot of pretty spread out ownership. I don't have any of these guys projected above 10% owned right now. So you kind of have um, guys like you mentioned, like Luke List before, then you have some guys that maybe are a little bit, um, you know, more approach and putting guys like a, a Russell Henley, you have someone like Charles Hell III, you talked about Kuchar's earnings. I feel like nobody has done has made more money with like less you oh, know, Chucky, victories Chucky and prestige. Yeah. Yeah, he, he owns that one, right? Like, um, that guy is like a, a cash mas- machine from a personal perspective. I feel like he always, like, plays the events where he knows he can, like, rake in a, a solid, like, top 10, too. Yeah, I, I have no issue playing Charles Howell like this. I also uh, I also do like Charles here. I think maybe maybe your guys' stuff doesn't like him. I've just seen a couple people on Twitter talking uh, poorly about Charles over the last couple months. But, like, I just think he's, like, a long-term form play. He's, he he would be the he would be the opposite. He would not be a recent form play. Yeah, yeah, we're we're not super high on Charles, but I know, you know, different pockets of sharp people. There are a lot of different reasons to to like guys, and sometimes there's stuff buried in long term data um, that uh, other you know people are able to kind of strip out for different reasons. I I don't think I've played Charles very much. Um, he was uh, like he was a guy I used. To, he was really good. The, maybe the second year I really got into PGA DFS, like three seasons ago, he had a really good year. He's not been as good since. Yeah. What about, what about Keegan Bradley and Emiliano Grillo? Um, those are maybe the guys who, if anyone does hit 10%, uh, I could see Keegan and Grillo being those uh, guys. People, people love Keegan. Keegan's like a, he's like a good play at uh, a cut, uh, a cut limited event or a no cut event. Cause he plays the good DraftKings golf. I actually think the most interesting play down here is, burger because he will be unowned due to uh you know as this wrist injury or whatever but he still shot 66 68 on the weekend at the pga with a wrist injury i actually think burger is really interesting at seven thousand. yeah it's interesting he's um he's been a weird guy for ownership so he ended up pretty popular last week uh despite the the kind of wrist injury chatter and then obviously had a poor performance and so um he had that strong performance at the PGA with it at low ownership. People jumped on the next week. He tanked. I think generally he's been a, a guy that people don't like to root for. So I've actually got him at like three and a half percent projected ownership. I do have some concerns about the wrist injury. Um, I also need to dig in a little bit as to why he was still playing last week. If it was like FedEx cup motivations, or if maybe he just feels like it's just not that bad and he can grind his way through it. It could be like a commitment sort of thing. Like he needs to do it for like, cause isn't that the case now that a lot of these guys are playing weird tournaments or terms they haven't played before because it's uh, required for their tour card. Yeah, there is, there is some of that going on. Obviously this week he's the FedEx cup. He's playing for right. like, the money and to keep advancing, but yeah, maybe last week I know they have to 
um, play tournaments every every so many years too. But um, I don't know. So Burger, I guess, more of a MME play to me. I don't think I could get there in one of my three max teams. I usually build like 10 or 12 three max teams in the different, you know, kind of 150 all the way down to 20 or $5. I don't think I could do that. I'd rather go get a Keegan and Grillo, but... Again, like they could end up being the most popular guys at seven thousand, and uh, like those guys aren't guys that align with like the strong putting narrative either. So you're going to get that weird course fit element this week. Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely agree that it's just uh, it's just like sort of a weird thing. I will pro- I would probably be overweight on Berger. I think I I think long term he's like a really good player, and you know, this is actually a really interesting thing. There's no injury reporting in golf right so it, it's like literally everything we make our decisions on it's just like rumors yeah I, it's it is interesting it's uh you kind of got and i don't even have his twitter handle handy so i can't reference it unfortunately but there's one guy who kind of keeps track maybe ahead of some of the majors and in you know kind of links like five or six guys who have at least said that they're dealing with something but it's like the same thing with stenson and the elbow injury you know you know he had it at a point in time and then it didn't really seem like it was impacting his play tee to green. Like his putter was just in the trash the last couple events, and then he's not playing this week. And so uh, you're getting like, even the guys you have an injury on, you don't really know how heavily to weight it. And then you have also guys like Kepka, right, who had that the wrist injury and had to take time off. And he's got kind of bad rounds buried in that data, but you don't know like when he was exactly dealing with the injury. So it's hard to know like what rounds you could kind of strip out from his performance, right? Right, yeah. You, you, you. It's not like we can say, okay, well, we need to remove this round from the data because he said this, and then it was reported that during this round this happened. Like, it, you're you're making educated guesses. Yeah. So, anybody else in the seven thousand dollar range that you think is worthy of a, a Matic take? Uh, I mean, Love Mark has like transformed his game to be like this like cut making grinder now who like gets T twenty fours at the Wyndham, which is like really depressing. But also like I, I don't know, I I just have a, a soft spot for Love Mark. Yeah, he usually ends up being a, a DK um, score. Kind of we have him projected better in the fantasy model than we do in the finished probabilities. Uh, just outside the top fifty in the field, I think I think it's. You know, I think it's fine. I think, um, you know, Brian Gay, if you want to play the putting angle a lot, uh, he is clearly the the best kind of putter in that low $7,000 range. Um, if you do want to end up playing some teams with Dustin Johnson or Justin Thomas this week, uh, it's going to be hard to build rosters around them and other top golfers unless you're willing to go below $6,000. Typically, when I go below $6,000, I like the, the guy to at least have 15% T20 odds. Um, in the data golf projections, that is roughly a 65% chance to make the cut this week. Um, are there any sub $7,000 punts that uh, interested you? There are a bunch. This this is a strong field, so there are good golfers down here. Uh, your boy Joel Dahman, um, Austin Austin Cook, uh, Chris Kirk, Brandon Steele. You know, they're they're good golfers down here. Ollie is down here. I think he could have like a great DraftKings scoring week on this course. Mike Mike Leone is a, a big Ollie guy. I don't know if he's been on him as much this year, but um, I think he was he was playing Ollie for a while. I've never been a huge Ollie guy. I think Charlie Hoffman was the first one that kind of stood out to me um, as a guy that 
can rack up birdies kind of in bunches, does have top 20 upside, about 19% T20 odds in our probabilities, and we have him rated higher in the fantasy model. Um, I do think it's an interesting range because down here, Domin and Streelman I have projected for 7 and 9% ownership, respectively. Uh, I feel like that's too high for a sub-$7,000 golfer. Uh, the model's warmed up to Domin, but not enough to, to have him kind of be be chalk. Um, so I guess my boy Domin is probably off of my card this week. But like you said, there's a few guys, and most of them are projected to be below 3% owned. So anybody you're playing here, even if it's just a little bit of sprinkle, you know, even like a guy like Chris Kirk, who's been pretty steady with the underlying stroke scheme, T to green been, metrics. Chris Kirk has been really good. Like, I, I think he's like a clear play to me. So I, I mean, I think he'll be like sub five percent owned right now. I, I mean, I I view him right now like I would not say it's bad at all to put him in a cash build. Play DJ. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you need to. I I, th I agree with um, he kind of. I would prefer Hoffman, I think, but I could see like the the argument and debate for maybe playing Kirk as a one off over Hoffman. Um, still feel like the balanced approach is probably the right way to go for the cash builds though. Yeah, no, I I agree, but I, I don't know. Like, who knows what I'll do by by Wednesday night? I could end up I could end up with Chris Kirk and Ollie in the same lineup. <laughs> so, uh, from a DFS golf perspective, are you playing a lot of cash games? Are you an MME guy? Are you kind of more single entry through max? Like, how? What's I'm like your process I'm like I'm like, like one I'm like one team, and I, I meet sometimes for like the tournaments I really like. I'll enter the three maxes and the single entries with like pivots off that. But like most weeks, I just play cash, like just one team. Yeah, and well, that, I mean, that and everything. That's easy for the rooting interest. It's uh, it's tough for variance in golf, right, with the cut, I guess. But it's probably the um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't checked out all his teams, but for the most part, in most boards, like Blake only plays one team, right? A lot of times, or one cash team and one GPP team. Yeah, pretty much. And it's uh, yeah. for the for the big ones, he'll put like multiple in the. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's probably long term. That's probably the, the highest ROI way to go. Um, just because you're you're building one team, it's your best team, and you're putting it in everything. Leone, Leone, and Drew are like always getting on me about it. Though, like I'll ask them, they'll, they'll be like, "Oh, I don't play cash. I don't care." And I'm just like, "Wait, get out of here." <laughs> I think I mean Drew plays cash, but he likes to MME too. So he he's got you know 150 teams on DK, 150 teams on FanDuel, and, and he's so... hedging 150 ways in his cash lineup too. <laughs> and he, yeah, building like three or four cash teams with pivots. Um, all right, any anything else below seven thousand dollars, and then we will get out of here with, uh, I guess, one of your favorite, well, just your favorite play outright for cash games, and then possibly your favorite tournament play. Uh, I like absolute cheapest guy I would play a near bond Lahiri, sixty five hundred. Yeah, I mean that's cheap. Sixty five hundred. We we haven't seen too many guys with a pulse below sixty five hundred. It's really cheap got... for him because he's actually yeah. good. We've actually, the other guy I guess at sixty five hundred would be Brian Harmon um, as a viable play down there. He fits the the putting mold um, a little bit more than Lahiri. If it's gonna, if you are someone who likes to build the course fit teams, I think we see him as a, a decent play uh, regardless of course fit. About. 67% chance to make the cut, so that's not too bad for a mid-price player. Yeah, that's uh, it's about as it's gonna it's about as good as it's gonna get for 6,500. 
All right, so let's let's get out of here then with uh, one pick to win the tournament. Your can be your favorite play or just the guy that you think is going the the least valued, and then uh, one off the board play for uh, or your favorite tournament play. It doesn't have to be off the board. Uh, DJ celebrates his one year anniversary of winning this tournament by winning it again. And uh, off the board play, John John Rom best GPP play. So I think I agree with you that Rom is the best GPP play. Um, I I can't recycle that totally. I I'll go with Rose. It's kind of the chalk answer as my winner, but uh, I think we have him as the second best player in this field. I think that regardless of how the course sets up, he's dynamic enough to fit all of those. So um, I think he is probably the the best play outright to me, considering the price and the likelihood to win the event. Um, and then I, I guess for the more contrarian play, it sounds like I'm going to go with Paul Casey. Uh, I know our models come down on him a bit over the past few weeks, uh, but we've still got him as a top 10 player in this field. It sounds like he's you know, inflicted enough pain on other people like yourself over the previous few months that even the loyal data golf followers are a little sour on him. So that seems like a good time maybe for Paul Casey to, to put together a top 10 finish. So I think those will be my um, my two parting thoughts. And obviously, if you are listening to this podcast, you like podcasts, you can search for the Take Cast. You can check out Davis's episodes. A lot of really great guests and content. Most of it is evergreen, and you can go back and kind of listen to it. Some of it is you know specific to a certain week or a certain slate, but a lot of stuff. Um, any other good guests to tell the listeners about that are coming up over the next couple of weeks as we head into NFL season? Well, I have an episode with Drew coming out on Wednesday, so they will. Uh, that probably is very relevant to the interest of the people listening to this podcast. Absolutely. Be sure to check it out because we did not talk too much on this episode about Drew's campaign for Charity Water. Uh, him and his wife are donating dollar-for-dollar matches up to $40,000 for clean water around the world. Drew will be on the TakeCast to talk about that. I'm sure they'll talk about some other things, um, NFL life, not seeing the sun. Who knows what else they're going to talk about, but definitely uh, give Davis a look and give his podcast a review. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. That's what it seems like the kids are doing this these days is telling everyone to subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. That's a, re- that's a real thing, trying to, trying to game the iTunes algorithm. It's sad, man. It's like sad that it has to come to that, and then they'll change the algorithm, and maybe they'll penalize people who did that. I don't know. But it's it's pretty sad that their algorithm is that unsophisticated, that the way you have to, to game it to get you know up in the rankings is by going, going to the unsubscribe, resubscribe button. So if you're listening to this, unsubscribe and then resubscribe to the TakeCast on iTunes. Absolutely. So that's going to do it for this week's Going for the Green on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You can save 10% on all of Daily Roto's products with the promo code Janus or FNTSY. And we will be back next week for the FedEx Cup playoffs. We'll be winding this podcast down a bit over the swing season. But we are looking forward to continuing coverage through the FedEx Cup playoffs. And definitely a few weeks left to check out the fantasy golf content and projections. If you join Elite, you can access three sports at once, golf, football, baseball, and it's a great time to be a DFS player. So we will catch you guys next week.